Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of June 24th, 2018, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to welcome you back for this fifth Sunday after Pentecost. And before we get into it this week, I want to do my shameless plug that I always do for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, it's a great resource, having great commentaries, an awesome Sermon Brainways podcast, which gives me a lot of direction since I'm not an ordained minister, to be able to bring you this type of content. For example, this week, I'm not the best Job scholar, and I was able to, since one of our readings is out of Job, do a quick reading of some of their commentaries to kind of give me an idea and flow of where that reading is coming from, and it gives me a lot of direction and helps me be able to better provide this podcast for you. I'm excited. I hope you had a good week. We did have a response last week to the podcast question of where do you find God in the wasteland, and they didn't know. Uh, For me, I would still answer kind of out in the bogs, but I kind of want you to think about that a little bit because I feel like this week really builds on what was talked about last week, and I think there's some really interesting context and ways we can take that this week. So, to start, our gospel text is out of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, And this is where we have Jesus with the 12 disciples crossing the sea or Lake Galilee, and he's sleeping, and all of a sudden a great storm blows up. We get Jesus to say, peace, be still, and then the people are kind of wondering, who is this guy that he can calm the seas and everybody obeys him? But he also gets the line of, in verse 40, he says to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And that's one thing we're going to kind of play around with that idea this week is being afraid and what does that do with our faith? And so I want you to remember that as we will look into that further later on. Our first reading is from Job chapter 38 verses 1 through 11. This is comes after a few chapters of Job with his friends kind of talking about the different things that Job has gone through. And it, it's a hard text to really preach on unless everybody knows what everything has been going on with Job. But Job, at this point, they've been kind of complaining, talking about all of this, and it's really interesting because in verse 2 and 3, you kind of get this challenge by God to gird up your loins like a man, which would be pulling up your robes and getting ready to do something athletic or something along those lines is what I got from the podcast uh, Sermon Brainwaves this last week. So you have this kind of thing and then he kind of gets into talking about how he's been there, how he's he's a builder, how he's made all these different things around them and haven't they noticed that. Really interesting text to kind of lead into what's been going on with Job. But I will say the alternative first reading this week, I'm going to focus a little bit more on because it's such a great story. It's kind of an easy one to feel like you want to get into. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17, optionally verse 1a, then 4 through 11 also optionally, 19 through 23 also optionally, and the main text being 32 through 49. It's David slaying Goliath. It's the story that we've heard as a child over and over again. Sadly, they don't include the verse after this talking about how David cuts off the head of Goliath. 
that gets talked about in a few verses earlier. But there's some really cool things that we can kind of deal with and grapple with that's in this text. One thing that I think is really easy to kind of overlook is how big Goliath is. They state in here that he is six cubics tall, which would be the equivalent to nine feet. So that's, you know, to put that in text, that's about the size of a basketball hoop is 10 feet. You have, you know, the tallest players in the NBA are typically seven feet tall and not quite as tall as a polar bear on its hind legs. A polar bear, they say, can be more than 10 feet tall. A grizzly is somewhere between six and seven feet tall. So kind of somewhere in between that on their hind legs. Uh, to give you some perspective of how large this man is. And one of the things that I was, it's the NBA draft is coming up this next week. I've been kind of listening to different things. I'm a big Timberwolves fan. And they talk about how Armsbrand is usually, the human is about two inches longer than they are high, is their wingspan. Whereas NBA players, it's even a little bit bigger on average. So if you think about this, this is a man who is nine feet tall with a wingspan of over nine feet. It's crazy how big this man is. And then you, of course, get Saul trying to, when David says he's going to do this, give him his armor. It just looks silly. It doesn't fit him well. He says, let me do my thing. And we get the equivalent of the slingshot and the stones, drills them in the forehead or probably the temple, and drops them. And then they cut out the verse that he slays off his head. So that the Philistines now have to follow the tribe of Israel. But we'll get more into that. Some really, really cool stuff in there. The psalm this week is Psalm 107 verses 1 through 3 and 23 through 32. It leads so well based off of the former two readings of how God is able to work with us if we are open to him working with us. Because he is able to work through all these different things because of his love, because of these different things. Which leads right into what Paul is stating in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1-13. through 13. And that we're not taking this grace purely in vain, coming from verse 1, but that as we have the love of Christ that we've been hearing about the last few weeks from Paul, he opens us up to see these different things that are going on around us. And that because of that love, we're able to do more for the Christian community, which is what Paul is striving for in this reading. So as I was getting into this and thinking about how do I bring a science perspective to these readings, I was thinking a lot about that David story and really thinking about how does that work with the gospel text. And like I stated in verse 40, why are you afraid? And I started thinking about this because you have that direct quote from Mark. You have the reading from Job who's kind of asking, where has God been? I've gone through all this stuff and you can see it as it could easily be frustration or fear. Where has he been? And then you have this whole thing with, with David and Saul and that David's nuts. What are you going to do? You're, you're a shepherd. You can't, you can't take on this guy. And then, okay, if you're going to, let me give you my armor. You need this. So then he gives him that and it doesn't fit. And so then David's like, let me do my own thing, which I think can bring in a whole nother subject for a whole nother day of this young person 
comparative to the rest of the army, being able to say this is what we need to do and just goes and does it. It's really interesting that way. But I was thinking about these kind of three readings and how much fear is, is playing into that. And it's such a human emotion. And what does science really have to say about fear? And so fear, we can pretty much tell, comes from the amygdala. It's a part of the brain. It controls feelings. And because fear is such so easy to judge, there's actually been a decent amount of tests done with fear on the amygdala. One of the things I'm going to attach is from the doctors. He gives some basic summary of what's going on. When the amygdala is being sensed that there is fear, it then goes to your adrenal glands, and the adrenal glands will then release adrenaline. And if there's additional stress, you'll get cortisol. And it's these chemicals rushing through your body to get you into this fight-or-flight mentality, which you've heard about your whole life probably. When I started thinking about this, and there's easy things you could talk about from it's in our DNA, it's probably from our ancestors, it's a way of survival, which yeah, it's that. But why is Jesus talking about this? And the reason that I feel that Jesus talks about this is think about what is all going on there. The amygdala is telling the body to get into a mode to get ready to fight or fly because there's sense danger. And with that sense danger, it's then all becoming about Forget about everybody else around me. It's all about me. I have to do this because I need to survive. When we're afraid of something, we no longer think about all these other things. It's about us. We're in our own head. We're trying to survive. Which then when you look at like the Job reading and God challenging Job, makes sense. He's tapping into that anger and frustration saying, well, if you really feel that way, you ready to take on me? You really want to challenge yourself that way you look at what's been going on with the tribe of israel to the philistines the philistines have them at a standstill saying whoever loses becomes the other one's slaves the tribe of israel is just petrified they're scared they don't know how they're going to survive they're worried just about them not what god's telling them to do god has promised that they're going to get through this but they're not thinking about that David then hears the call from the Lord and goes and does it. Jesus is saying the same thing. Why are you getting so scared? You get to a point where you're not thinking about how can we work together. You're just scared for yourself. And that's where then we kind of get into like the Corinthians reading is if we're afraid, we can't help all these other people because we're so worried about our needs and what we're going through. We're not able to see the beauty that God has created around us. Another example that, and I'll attach the video down below that I ended up running across just before this, was a video from SciShow. If you've never checked out SciShow, it's really, really good. It's just short little science tidbits they put out pretty much daily that come from John and Hank Green. And if you don't know who those guys are, John and Hank Green. Hank Green does more of the science stuff. John Green has books. They have tons of great material for different education stuff. They have crash course like U.S. history, biology, chemistry, tons of stuff. I'd highly recommend checking them out. And I've linked some of their stuff before. But he came up talking about medications coming from super toxic critters, coming directly from his video. And I just listed a couple. I'll let you watch the video for other ones. But for example, the venom of the South American pit viper made a drug called caprophil, which 
was the early stage of high blood pressure medication. They started noticing with the venom how it was killing its prey was the loss of blood pressure. So it was the idea of if we can harness this, if we control this, we could then make some type of medication to help with high blood pressure. The early stages of the medication that we have today to help deal with high blood pressure. Another example of this is a marine snail called the cone snail, which it has a xenotoxin that is a painkiller that's stronger than morphine. It's not addictive but it's this super strong painkiller and it's still they're trying to work out some of the different kinks they're able to use it in certain situations but it's looking optimistic and they're already starting to utilize it gila monsters or gila monsters as us of the north don't know how to make g silent gila monsters their spit has been found to help lower blood sugars the venom in their spit helps reduce blood sugars has also been used somewhat as a weight loss medication because the protein stays in the stomach longer than the one that our body will produce 70 times longer if i'm remembering from the video correctly thus suppressing hunger so making this drug that then is being able to to help with this but why do i bring this up this is because we can't be just purely afraid of something that has venom. It's these people who are going through and saying, well, what's actually going on? What is it actually doing? Okay, now that we understand it's reducing their blood pressure, can we harness this? Can we control this to be able to benefit people? That doesn't come from being afraid. That comes from being open, being thinking about others, letting faith intervene and one of the things you look up faith with the brain it's really really complicated i had trouble finding articles that were really solid but part of it that they will state is the brain faith activates so many sections of the brain that it's like an interconnected web just jolting all over the brain to be able to do different parts of faith and if you think about that we're having the amygdala, if we get scared, just shoot all these different hormones through our bodies to think about only us, it shuts that whole network down because we're so worried about ourselves. That's, I feel like, what Jesus is really getting at in Mark. That's what God's getting to with Job. Another example that I'll throw out is when you hear about how tigers in India their populations are dropping rapidly through poaching. You have, if you're from the upper Midwest, Wisconsin has had to start to acknowledge that pumas, mountain lions pass through the state. People are scared. We're not familiar. We don't understand what that all means. That's exactly it. The fear is there because we don't understand. We don't know what are we supposed to do to protect ourselves. God is not calling us to be a people who are fearful. We're called to be people who go boldly. And when you start even having the science of fear, what goes on when we are fearful? We're not able to be faithful. So we have to be open to that. And it kind of draws in what we talked about last week in the wasteland. Because if we only are concerned and are scared of something, we don't know what it can teach us. If we're only scared of South American pit vipers, we would have never learned what their venom is doing and how it could help us. It's from someone being 
open to how are we able to get this responsibly and without killing myself so that we can study this. I think of Pocahontas in a way. How high does the sycamore grow? If you cut it down, you'll never know. It's the same idea. There's so many things that we get scared of for good reason or bad, but that we don't address that then limit us with our faith. It's putting a latch on our toolbox, restricting what we can do. God wants an open toolbox so that he can have all these tools to his disposal. So I guess the Twitter question this week should be, what things are you afraid of that you think that God can help you with so that you can use it to help further the kingdom? It's easy to be afraid. I know myself, there are certain things that I'm afraid of. In my own personal life, there's lots of stuff going on that make me excited, but it's also scary at the same time. It's fearful. It's life of a 20-year-old. But I have to trust. If I'm afraid, nothing changes and the things stay the same. And that's not always good because then you're not growing. But I'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray that God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science. <laughs>